It is a little extra Lambo podcast coming to you on this Labor Day weekend. Happy Friday morning to everybody out there in podcast land. I hope that you are listening to this on your way to your campsite, on your way to your barbecue, on your way to whatever family function you are on your way to. So happy, happy Labor Day weekend. Hopefully you guys are have something amazing planned. I know I do. We've got some family stuff going on. We got a camp out and I cannot wait to get this going. Before I start the show, I've got my Eatworks jalapeno pizza beef bar from Eatworks. And this thing is amazing. The flavor, the jalapeno flavor, that that pizza flavor just hits your mouth right away. This is a great bar. My mail day came in today from Eatworks. I bought a case of the uh, barbecue or the, I'm sorry, the, the bacon cheeseburger and a case of the jalapeno pizza flavor. So we're, we're eating the jalapeno pizza flavor right now. It is amazing. Go to eatworks, WRX eatworks.com and order your sample pack, which they have, or else you can go get the, the case each, which is what I did. I bought a case of the bake of the bacon cheeseburger and a case of the jalapeno pepperoni pizza. Great. It, they're phenomenal. Get them in your go bags. Put one in your truck for later. Put one in your office, in your study. I don't care where you put it. Just go buy one. You're helping a military veteran company, veteran-owned, veteran-operated. Remember Kit Rider 22? This is her cousin. Um, 20 years in the in the military. Wanted to do something better. Wanted to do something different. Wanted to do something that helps his brothers and sisters in the military. So get on there, eatworkswrx.com, and order yours today just like I did. That's the plug for today. Today's show, we have on uh, Mr. Dave Duquette. He is the executive director of Western Justice. We talk about the the nonprofit that he, that he does operate. We have him on because of... We have them on because of the the bull riding ban that they tried passing, or the rodeo ban that they tried passing in Oregon, that they've tried passing in L.A., that this thing just keeps coming up. Well, now they're trying to go the federal route, and they're trying to ban work horses. So we have him on. We talk about grazing rights. We talk about uh, the the use of animals by humans. We talk about you know the the equipment that is needed. I mean, we talk about a bunch of stuff. We talk about the the WAPA, and then of course we talk about the the HB thirty two fourteen, the Oregon Animal Protection Ban. So we talk about a, a a bunch of stuff that has to do with Western culture. This is very important because when we start erasing Western culture and, and the Western way of life, if we start removing people that know how to take care of themselves, they're self-sufficient, they know how to raise animals, they know how to tend gardens and farm, you know, what everything that goes along with that. If we eliminate that from our world, as, as Steph Nash says, no farms, no food. And this is this is the progress that's going. This is about control. This has nothing to do about horses. They could give two fucks about horses. It's the control behind it. It's the stepping stones to eliminating this way of life for people to protect themselves, feed themselves, 
nourish themselves, be able to sustain on their own. That's what this is all about. So we talked to Dave about about this. It's a great show, and uh, I'm excited for you guys to listen. Um, get on to uh, his, the Western Justice website. I will put that address in the prologue of the show. I became a member. I did donate to uh, this cause to fight against the, um, the, the Working Animal Protection Act. I, I put money towards it, and I'm hoping that, that I can make a difference. If you would just get onto that website, sign the petition, that would go a long way into getting the goals that they're set, setting for themselves to be able to take this in front of Congress. And he'll explain more about that within the podcast. And you can, you know, if you have any questions from that, shoot the show an email, extralambo at gmail.com, or go to the Western Justice website. There is a content uh, contact screen there as well that you can ask your questions there. Or if you have any feedback, any information, anything like that, you can go and go to that website and and uh, they'll take care of you. So it's a great show. Sign that petition. I, that will be on the prologue of the show. Just go scroll up or however your your podcast player works. Scroll up. You'll see sign this petition. That link will be right there. Click it. It'll take you right to it to sign that to sign that petition. So if you could do that, that'd be awesome. We cannot lose our Western way of life. We just cannot. And, and these elites, they're trying to make you dependent upon their government. That's what this is all about. It's what it's all about. So if you could get on there, that'd be great. Um, Dave Duquette, uh, he is, uh, I hope to have him on again. It was a, it was a great show. Very informative, and and the stories that that uh, I'm sure that he has, we didn't quite get into just talking because I had him on here for a specific reason. I want to have him on again just to talk. So hopefully we can do that, and uh, hopefully you get on there. Please sign that petition. It will go a long, long way. You don't have to give money if you don't want to. I did because I I believe in the cause. I believe in what it's. I know what this is all about. I know where it's headed. So if you can get on there, help sign this petition, it'll get it in front of Congress, and then Dave can go work his magic and go go kick some commie ass. So without further ado, I give to you Dave Duquette. Mr. Duquette. Hey, how are you, Kevin? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, pretty darn fair. Fair for a Sunday. You know, for, for fair for a Sunday, and been up since five, right? Yeah, doing lessons with people that I just can't seem to get away from doing. Um, so, riding lessons. So I get up and do that for the first few hours of the day, and then get to work. So you, you're, you're. You do a lot of work on horses and and riding. I obviously I don't know I don't know much about you. Um, you were you were okay. passed on by by a friend of mine. I won't use her her real name on here, but um, you were you were you do a lot of work every day with horses. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I I trained horses for twenty five years. I cowboyed for you know on big ranches uh, probably from twenty. 
23 years old to about 35 cowboy. And then from there, and I was training horses to go show at that point also for about 10, about probably about 10 years of that. And then uh, just went full on horse trainer, going to show and going to the big shows, that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, I did that until uh, probably stopped full time back in 13, 14, when I started working for Forrest Lucas or Lucas Oil. Started working for him, running his nonprofit. So you're with that was um, you're the executive director of Western Justice. And I have it yep. pulled up on my screen right now. Will you tell tell me what Western Justice is? And and I'm and I'm and I'm gonna just say this. I'm gonna preface this. Western Justice, or, or in in this whole entire podcast, it's not going to be like uh, the old Western movies. That's not that's not what you guys how rodeo and ranching and stuff like that is today. It's not like the 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 old West. You guys are everyday people just like, you know, not, not, not people in the city, but like the, the urban people who are trying to make a living, provide for your families. Mm -hmm. You want to be left alone. You have your fun. However, you know, you guys, you guys see it and you just now, now you're fighting for your way of life. So will you tell us what Western justice is for, you know, for your aspect of this? Well, the, the interesting part, and I'll give you a little history on the demographic of who we are, are what, what the people that I represent, which is basically anything to do with ranching, rodeo, or the Western horse world is, uh, when I say the Western horse world, that's the cutting, the reining, the cow horse, all these different big venues of the backcountry horsemen, the people that just ride up in the mountains and have a, you know, have a horse to go trail ride, that kind of stuff. Um, Typically, over the last 30, 40 years in D.C., there's been no representation for what I consider the Western horse or the Western horseman or the Western horse. And about 2006, I figured this out and I started plugging away at being that person or trying to get the, uh, the bigger organizations to actually stand up for the Western horse because the Western horse if you pile all those together represents about three quarters of the the domestic horses in the United States. And here's another key factor. The last study that was done on the economic impact of the, of the, of the horse industry as a whole was $122 billion a year industry. And that same year, and what this, this is the way I equated to politicians because they hear big numbers all the time. Right? So the way I equated to them to, get them to really understand is the NFL that same year was only a $9.8 billion a year industry. So we were 12 times the size of the NFL. That's amazing. Yeah. And most people have no clue, no idea that we're that, that the horse industry is that big and and politicians. They're like, Holy crap. I had no idea. I go, I know the wealthiest, some of the wealthiest people. I know some of the wealthiest people in the country. I mean, the wealthiest people from, you know, Alice Walton to Phil and Penny Knight to all these big, you know, big, 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 big names and multiple multi-billionaires that are all, I know, I know them and I've talked to them because of the horse industry, because they're all involved in the Western horse world at one level or another. So, 
I mean, you got everybody from Lyle Lovett to Steve Largent and all kinds of, you know, stars, Tanya Tucker, all of these people that were are multiple amounts of stars that have been involved in the Western horse world. So it's a, it's a pretty big financially well-heeled group of people. And our, our organization, Western justice is basically the NRA type organization of that group. So what NRA is for the gun, you know, the people, the gun owners, we're kind of the Western justice is that type of an organization, a protection type organization for, and a voice for the Western horse world. You're a uh, nonprofit out of Hermiston, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. you've well, been... we're, we're registered in Wyoming. I live in Hermiston. Okay. But our, our nonprofits are, we have a C4 and a C3 and they're registered in Wyoming. Okay. Um, you've been working on uh, grazing rights on the, on federally protected land. You've been working mm-hmm. on ending the use of animals uh, for, you know, by humans for any reason. Um or that's what you're fighting against. I'm sorry. You're, yeah, that's what I was yeah. Say, yeah, I'm, I'm against that. <laughs> you're against that. Um, you have you have this battle. They're they're trying to uh, end the equipment use, i.e., spurs, ropes, bits, flanks, stuff like that. They're they're trying to get that out of your guys's hands. Um, before I go into why I have you on today, which is severely important, what is WAPA, uh, Working Animal Protection Act? Will you will you Tell us what that is and how that's going to help you guys. Well, the the Working Animal Protection actually just makes it to where they cannot the animal rights groups cannot come after us for doing what we do with animals, whether it's a dog, a cat, or you know whether it's a a dog that goes and you know a Jack Russell that flushes out rats, or you know or or a dog that goes and and uh, fetches a duck or birds or, or horses that work and actually provide for us. And, you know, the, the working, the other thing that that does is also helps with people who have bear, you know, bears, captive bears or animals like that, that they can go to an actual event and show off their animals. Cause a lot of, and what, and in that there, it gets a lot of, there's a lot of nuances to that. And there's a lot of bad blood with people or bad, um, you know, things that are put out there about animals that are in captivity, wild animals. But most of those animals are born in, in captivity. They're not, they wouldn't survive if they just turned them loose. Just like they're going to try to turn this orca loose. that has been in captivity its whole life down at SeaWorld. That thing's going to go out and die. I mean, it doesn't have a clue one, how to, how to sustain for itself. So that's, that's the difference. And, and when we have animals inside, you know, that people can go look at and see and be interact with those are, that gives us a lot more education towards the animals. And, and they, it just, just a, a, a big world that somebody gets offended about an animal being in captivity when in reality, that animal is probably a lot better off or is alive because it is in captivity. So I had uh, our, our mutual friend, I had her on the podcast as well. We talked about um, Oregon House Bill 3214. That's the Oregon Animal Protection Band or the, the Kill Rodeo Band. Right. Um, is this what is going on now? And we're going to talk about the, the Horse Protection Act. Is this, since it didn't get passed in Oregon, did these people just take their 
their argument from Oregon and just go to the federal level to try to get this passed on a, on a federal level? No, it's kind of the opposite of that. Um, they've, this has been going on for, for since I, since I started in on doing this stuff for the horse industry and that's in 2006. So they've been trying to pass this stuff for ever since then, but we've been able to hold it off. And this, this time we, it finally has gotten by with the last, uh, Congress prior to this one. Um, it just got to the point where we couldn't hold it off anymore and something was going to happen. So that's, that's what the push is on the past act or the, the, the horse protection act, the new rules in there. And it's part of what's called the past act. So it's prevent all soaring tactics, but, uh, yeah, it's almost the opposite because we've been able to stop all this stuff at the federal level for so many years that they started to come to the city level, like with what they're doing in LA. And you, you alluded to that. Uh, we're, we've been fighting for two and a half years and spent almost half a million dollars fighting this now in two and a half years. There's one city council member that's just, you know, tried to bring up basically, Implement, implements of torture, things that they say, and they flat out lie about this stuff. Like they say a bull flank, a bull rope, the flank rope is tied to their testicles. And close. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's funny because I tell, uh, you know, when, if a guy comes up and tells me that I look at him and I go, Hey, let me tie a shoestring around you and, and try to make you jump. Are you going to do it? Are you going to move? I know I wouldn't, I wouldn't move but it's just not, it's not even functional to think that they would, that that would happen. And, and we, no matter how many pictures we show of the underbelly of a bull who's straight up, you know, straight up is uh hind end straight up in the air and you can see his whole belly and every, all of his genitalia, you know, and you can see that the bull rope is around his waist. You know, it's basically like a, uh, like where we would put a belt. And, you know, and if you tighten them down too much, the bull will lay down. They'll go out and lay down. They won't even try to buck. Some of them. But, I mean, implement the, the other, and then they say that we put tax and abrasive materials in there, which, you know, there's rules against all of that. There, it's a soft cotton rope for bulls, and it's a fleece-lined uh, or a fleece covered leather belt that goes around on the bucking horses. So it's, it's totally super soft and it doesn't get tightened up too tight. It's just, like I said, it comes up about as tight as a belt on a, on a man. So, or anybody, uh, but, and then they tried to say we use wire tie downs, which we don't use. And then they tried to say that they wanted to ban fixed or sharpened spurs. Well, nobody's allowed to use sharpened spurs for one. That's against the rules. You'd be disqualified and thrown out of the, and probably get, you know, sanctioned on any rodeo or PBR. PBR has a specific rowel that they will only let you use that rowel. And it's about a quarter inch wide on the top. I mean, there's no sharpness to it at all. It's dull. But when they said fixed spurs, the interesting part about that is really the only people that ride a fixed spur or jumpers, some of the hunter jumpers, the people that do the dressage, that kind of stuff, you know, the real pretty stuff where they're dressed up in the coat and the tight pants and the helmet and all that, the, the Olympic kind of stuff. Well, when we pointed out to them, if you ban fixed spurs, you're banning all your horse events in the Olympics in 2028 in Los Angeles. 
Well, then they started deciding they were going to carve out, you know, carve out the Olympics. Well, we, you know, one, one, one great thing about California is probably the only great thing other than the weather is that they have a tremendous amount of case law for freedom of expression and freedom, uh, uh, freedom of expression and freedom of speech. First Amendment rules are, you know, rights. There's tons of case law. So if they ban rodeo just on, on the premise that they want to ban rodeo, they are this one guy, then that's freedom of expression are taking away our freedom of expression. The Charos, we have the Compton Cowboys. So we've got, uh, we've got the Compton Cowboys, the Bill Pickett all black rodeo series that educates inner city kids about the black, uh, you know, how many black cowboys were actually helped to found this country and in the West (laughs) and, you know, all of the history with the Charos and, you know, rodeo basically started in LA, you know, back with, before it was even a, in that area, before it was even a state part of before when it was still in, in Mexico's hands, you know, so it, it, the Charos started it all there. So that's, that's what's so ironic. The, the birthplace of it is the one that wants to ban it. And honestly, we have a lot of people say, we'll just let, let LA go. It's no big deal. Let it fall off in the ocean. Those people are crazy anyway. You know, we hear your comments like that all the time. But the reality is you can't let the second largest city in the United States ban what you do without it repercussions going downhill to smaller cities across the country. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So we're, so we, Western justice built a coalition that's never been done before. And we built the Western sports industry coalition, which has over 60 of the major rodeo organizations in it. And those organizations generally don't work together because they're, they're competing organizations. So there's a lot of bad blood in between a lot of them from decades of fighting against each other for the market share. So we got now it's to the point where everybody's kind of settled into who they are, what they are. And there's not that much bad. Uh, the, the blood isn't that bad, but it was just kind of that holdover feeling, you know, of people. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to go there yet, but we brought them together two and a half years ago. And it's been great because now we have the, probably the most diverse and uh, culturally diverse, but also, uh, um, you know, just, the biggest group of rodeo organizations all together, you know, anything, nothing like that has ever happened in the horse world. So it's very important. It's a very important scenario. And that's what, you know, frankly, any issue that we were dealing with the United States, that's the best way to deal with it is to bring as many stakeholders together and quit arguing whether it's over market share or who gets the, who gets to be the one that takes credit or whatever, quit arguing about it and just go come together. And that's how you slow things down. Now I've always said that if, if for law lawmakers, if you're going to go make a law banning something from somebody, you know, in, in this case, let's just take rodeo, especially in California, they need to actually go to a rodeo. You going to the rodeo doesn't mean that you support it. You're going to go find out for yourself with your own eyeballs and look and see what is going on. Why do exactly. these lawmakers not do that? 
Well, that that's a that's a you know that's a good question because it's it's one of those things that you know you, you wish that, and, and realistically, honest. I mean, honestly, if I'm realistic about it, you look at you look at these poor politicians, and I say poor politicians. I don't feel sorry for any of them, to be honest, but they have so much going on, and they're getting pulled in so many different directions. And the staff, unless that person, that lawmaker has a stake or a, and you know, some they're invested in an issue for a personal reason or something like that, or they know a lot about it, they rely on their staffers to tell them what the situation is and what to do. And some of these staffers, that's where our biggest problem is. The unelected bureaucrats that are running the country is is the biggest problem because they just. You know, they're, they're the ones telling the, the politicians what they're supposed to do. And they can't, if they try, if they tried to go do what you're saying for every issue, they, they, they'd never, they'd never be able to keep up with it, you know, cause there's so many issues to deal with. I, I and it's because we're, you know, it's because we have so many problems with people just wanting to, what are, what do they call them? Like the Karens? Yeah. You know, there's so many Karens out there that want to create a problem over nothing, you know, so. With as much that is out there on this, it's somebody's way of life. You are trying to eliminate an entire industry. At some point, the importance of of this bill or whatever bill they come up with in the future, you have to put your hands on it. You have to see it with your own eyes. You have to actually get out there. And on furthermore, if your schedule is so busy that you can't get out there to actually see with your own eyeballs, touch with your own hands, then there's too many laws on the books and people are not free. Exactly. You can't have it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you there. Either that or they need to send a staffer that doesn't have and make them not have an agenda. I mean, because the guy that, uh, the guy that that's running this bill or this or uh, proposed ordinance in LA, his his chief of staff is the one that's pushing it so hard, and he's flat pissed at us right now because we went down there a couple weeks ago, and a bunch of us showed up down there, and we walked around and had had uh, meetings in nine of the fifteen council members' offices that day, and then during the public comment section when the whole council was in there. Uh, in the main forum area, we went in and we all signed up to speak and we all got to speak. And, and we, it was funny because we were the only sane people in that meeting. I mean, everybody else was, a uh, there's, a you know, people with sock puppets on their hands going up and talking on the mic. And I mean, there was all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the LA city councils, but the, the, the one guy that's pushing this his chief of staff is not, I mean, has said some really rude stuff to us and just like, I'm not backing down. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Are you the one doing this or is the councilman? You know, is he giving you free reign to just do this? Or is it, is it, uh, you know, you're just not telling him everything that's going on. So that's, that's a tough part. I mean, you get those and you get, then you get, offices that are fully engaged down there. People don't realize there's 90 plus thousand horses in the city of LA proper. 
I mean, you know, the, the, in the city limits, there's that many horses That's there. And most of them, yeah, most of them are Western horses. They're not, you know, they're, there's a, there's a bunch of jumpers and jumper clubs and polo people and stuff like that. But I'll bet you over half of them or more are Western horses. They're team ropers. There's an old team roping club right there next to Griffith Park, downtown LA, right next to the park. There's an old club there that's been there since 1920. And they go over there and they team rope and they ding around. And it's a, just an old rich guy's club. I mean, Reagan was a member of that at one time. So, I mean, there's there's things like that that are right downtown L.A. that people don't even know are there. But, I mean, in the Hollywood, Hollywood should be jumping up and down over this, you know, because it's going to put a bunch of restrictions on them and their movie making. But what they'll do is they'll get an exemption to do whatever they're doing. And the city of L.A. will stop it. And they just, uh, last, let's see, let's, when was it, last... Last fall, they shut down the pony rides at Griffith Park that have been there for 76 years. I mean, I went down there and and went to go do some interviews with some of the protesters that wanted it shut down. They were a bunch of paid protesters getting paid 20 bucks an hour to go stand there and pretend like they didn't like pony rides. That pony ride deal had been there for 70, 70 plus years, 70, I think it was 76 years. And I talked to a woman there who was probably 50 years old. Her daughter was in her thirties and her daughter was three years old. So there was three generations of this, uh, Mexican family, these women, and they, every, from the mom or the grandmother, the mom and the the little girl, every one of them had rode those ponies on their third, third birthday. Cause you had to be at least three to ride the ponies. Okay. And they started with the grandmother and all the way down. So that's how long that thing had been there that that 50 some year old woman had, you know, had rode him when she was three. And that was the biggest impact of anything she ever did when she was a kid. She loved it. They couldn't wait to take the, the the granddaughter over there. Now it's shut down. And and these horses are, are probably the best cared for probably brushed every oh. day, you know, <laughs> just I've never well seen taken a- care of. Yeah, I've never seen a group of ponies. Ponies are like, they're kind of like the the mean little, the mean little animals, uh, like a mean little dog. You know, they're, they're in the horse world, most, a lot of ponies are just kind of the mean little things. They're kind of, and, and not, and not always mean, but just kind of mischievous. Let's put it that way. And, but they can be mean, but the, the ponies, to see a group of ponies that big doing what they were doing and to have that many that in that great a shape, uh, it was amazing. And this woman, this probably 70s or uh, 60s, mid 60s, early 70s kind of woman. She's standing there, blonde haired gal. She's standing there and she's telling me about the ponies and the, they're not happy. They're not happy. They're, and she bent over straight over and she's like, they walk around with their heads down like this. And I asked her, I go, have you ever seen horses in a pasture when they're relaxed? And she goes, she looked at me and she goes, no. And I go, well, basically that's what it's like. And we, we made a TikTok of that. And with this woman saying that, 
And then me asking her that question, then it showed all these horses in the pasture laying down and all hanging around with their heads down and look just like the ponies at the pony ride deal. And uh, that got, uh, I think it got 700,000 views on TikTok. It was pretty, it went pretty viral. That's good traction. Yeah, yeah. Today's episode with Dave Duquette is brought to you by Chernot.com. If you want to check out Cindy Davis and her store, get on Chernot.com backslash Sinmin, C-I-N-M-I-N, and you can get today's daily facial cleanser that is for both men and women. It gently removes that dirt and oil from your face as well as that stuck-on makeup for the ladies. Chernot also offers two great products called Glow and Nourish. I've talked about this on several podcasts. The Glow is the advanced type 1 collagen superfood with antioxide and support. Nourish is that probiotic meal replacement that improves gut health and it helps you gain nutrition. Go to chernot.com backslash cinnamon to see all the other amazing products like balance for the multivitamin boost for that premium nitric oxide and the cellular combo pack which includes balance and boost but also enrich and renew. So message cinnamon85 on Instagram or email cinnamon03 at gmail.com. Remember, chernot.com backslash cinnamon, C-I-N-M-I-N, is where you can get all of your health needs. So we have yeah, you uh, on today for the, the Horse Protection Act. And this is a, mm-hmm. this is a federal... Um, a federal amendment, I guess, that or proposed amendments that will make every horse owner a criminal. Will you explain what this Horse Protection Act is and why you guys are fighting against it? So the Horse Protection Act started back in the 70s. They brought it in, and for valid reasons. There was, there was problems in the Tennessee walking world and some of the gated world back there in the southeast where – they would do what's called soaring to make the horse have a lot more action in their front end. So they would soar them and put astringents or, or something hot or little chains around their ankles and do all this stuff to give them more action in the front end. And the walking horses already have, I mean, I don't ride walking horses cause I, I can't, they, they can't do the stuff that I do. So, and it's because of their gait. They have this gait where they, you can walk down a trail and walk at 15 miles an hour walking and not, and drink a beer while you're doing it. And, but that's not functional for me. So, but the Tennessee walkers cleaned that They cleaned that all up 30. It's been illegal to soar horses. I mean, like a felony law for 35 years. And the animal rights groups want to do away with all use of all animals. And, you know, people think I'm just being hyperbolic or whatever, but the reality is they, you don't have to listen to me. You just listen to them and the things they say. The head of the Humane Society of the United States, one of his most famous quotes was, we could, we could be done with all domestic animals. That, And he was talking about, when he was speaking in that speech, he was talking about, our food supply and our pets. And he said, all domestic animals. He said, one generation and out, we just quit breeding everything and one generation it's gone. And that's what they want. That's what their, that's what their goal is, is to get us to that point. I don't know how the humane society will survive if they get rid of all animals, which I don't think they'd ever be able to do, but they're, that's their goal. So this is one of the ways 
with this Horse Protection Act that they've this is this thing is supposed to have just covered Tennessee walking horses the whole time. So since the seventies, that's what so fifty years it's supposed to just cover the Tennessee walking world. So now they've worked through rulemaking in the USDA because it's under APHIS, the Animal Plant Health Inspection Service in APHIS or uh, in USDA. So it's under there. So now it's all unelected bureaucrats making all these rule changes. Veterinarians that are in, you know, at USDA, that kind of, those kind of people are what are making these new rules. So they put it out for comment. They've been going on and on. The, the, the animal rights groups have had a lot to say about what this is and what the, what the words are, are wording is going to be. And they keep slipping in there that the Horse Protection Act, even though it was stated in the very beginning that it only covered Tennessee walking horses. The Horse Protection Act now, at least six times in the 130-page document, says it covers all domestic horses. So with that, you not being a horse person, it might be a little, uh, it's a little tougher to understand what that the ramifications are going to be. But the ramifications are you cannot, like if you go to a Tennessee walking horse show, they're all but uh, all but dead. I mean, they're all but gone. And the reason is you have a USDA in, uh, veterinarian who inspects every horse. So if you go to a horse show, you might stand in line for five hours to be able to show your horse in a class. Five hours is usually four or five different classes in, in the Western world. Five hours would be four or five different classes and about 300 horses go through there. You know, so a couple hundred. So with that, it would ruin any horse show. And if there's any pimple, scratch, mark, scar, anything on the horse's legs, you get rode up and your horse doesn't get show. Well, a horse out in a pasture, I, I, I don't know how anybody keeps them totally blemish free because a horse just running around playing in a pasture is going to reach up and clip himself or hit a stick or do something that's going to scratch his legs or do something to his legs. They're all going to get it at some point if they're out, if they're actually living like a horse. So there's absolutely no way that this will not just devastate the horse industry the way it is. It'll also make every, I mean, if they come in and they find your, you say you go in and they find something wrong with your horse through an inspection, then they're going to be, a, they have the right to keep your horse and go through the motions and then make you a felon. If there's, if they deem something's wrong. The other thing is, is astringents, you know, what astringents like what, you know, absorbing or something like that, that tighten skin or tighten muscles or, you know, or, or, uh, you know, just like absorbing junior or whatever, you know, okay. a, a rub. So something like that you can't use on your horse's legs. Well then fly spray or, you know, cause we use fly spray on our horse all the time, especially in the summer to keep the flies off them. So fly spray and shampoos will test if they rub on the leg with their little swab, they'll test as looking like an astringent. So you can't, so then you can't bathe your horse. Can't put fly spray on it without it testing. Hmm. So there's, there's so many things wrong with what's going on, uh, what they're trying to do, but they're incrementally 
now trying to get to that point. The horse industry, and this is the sad part, and I'm going to tell you, this is, I see, I mean, I see this happen in other places, not, not, not the horse industry and our government, but we have people and organizations within the horse industry that I have been telling them, you know, sounding the alarm on this since 2000, probably eight, when I first figured out what was going on and telling them, you guys are throwing the Tennessee walkers under the bus instead of helping them figure out and police their own. You're throwing them under the bus as a sacrificial lamb, thinking that they're not going to come after you or the animal rights groups are going to stay away from you because of that. It never stops. And the reality is, yeah, exactly. It never does on anything, any kind of thing. So, you know, the whole, the whole, I, I want to be the, I'm going to push the, the first one out there and be the last one the lion eats, right? And that's, that's what is going on here. And so for 30 years, the last 30 years at least, the horse industry has come together, the thoroughbred world. You know, the thoroughbred world is, is behind this, thinking that this is the smart thing to do to throw the Tennessee walkers under the bus, keep them away from the tracks, you know, keep the animal rights groups away from the tracks. And, and now it's going to, it's going to come back to bite them. Cause one of the things in this new, in this new set of rules that the thoroughbred world didn't even think about is you can't inject a horse. There's all kinds of, just like humans that get joint injections, there are all kinds of, maintenance things you can do to make a horse comfortable or make a horse feel better or make them heal faster or give them something that is just going to be, you know, uh, uh, regenerative. Well, it says right in there that you can't give injections. And now the thoroughbred world, they're going to be really screwed because they, they're probably the biggest, you know, users of injections of the whole horse world. So, and, and they've been behind this thing, pushing this the whole time. So that's your, so, that's your, is that your everyday, like, you know, vaccines and shots and, you know, whatever yep, else that yep. all of that. Well, it has to be administered by a veterinarian. Okay. Uh, any of that stuff has to be administered by a veterinarian. Whereas, whereas, Right now, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend money on having a vet come out to give my horse a shot, you know, uh, you know, the flu shots or the, the rhino shots or any of that stuff. I mean, the, the, the yearly shots are something that I can do, you know, anybody can do just like you, if you raise dogs, you give your dogs that, mm-hmm. you know, you can give your dogs their shots or worm them or whatever. All of that stuff will be illegal to do without a veterinarian. And right in the middle of, we're in a crisis right now with veterinarians with large animal vets. I mean, we're getting to the point where, you know, you used to be able to, there was a large animal vet in almost every town. Now, you're lucky to find one within 50 miles. I mean, that's how bad it's getting. Is that just people retiring? Is that just, there's no People retiring and not enough new ones coming in. Interesting. And, you know, we have less horses and less livestock than we did 20 years ago. And we've got, we've got way less veterinarians now. And that's really kicking our ass. Well, there needs to be a, in in a perfect world, you you need to have a, a, a governor who understands 
this way of life understands that your you know your veterinarians are, are 40 50 60 miles away there should be some initiative through the state that says if you go through such and such and such college course then you will get the opportunity to to relocate to these other towns there should be something some program incentive to do that for these for this the next generation of veterinarians yeah well the, here here's the thing Kevin, think about this. We are sitting on the the world right now is is a is a weird place. Cattle are causing global warming, which is total BS. Garbage. Right? So so cattle are supposedly, and this is their truth. They're trying to spread this. This is their truth. The cattle are causing global warming. Eat less meat. Meatless Mondays, all the different things that are going on. Now Bill Gates is, is you know, the big pusher of the fake meat deal. And they're going to get it done. You look at what Al Gore's done and the amount of money they've made. You know, and we can get into a whole philosophical deal over over climate change and all that. I'm, I'm more on the side of the guys who look at the permafrost and go actually figure out that, you know, we're – we're not the ones causing climate change. And actually the, you know, I saw one the other day, I, I read a report and saw a video about it and it, and it was basically, and there's something that I hadn't heard yet that the, the carbon flux in our, our carbon and, and methane and all the, you know, CO2 levels come from what happened like 300 years ago or 400 years ago. There's a lag time in what the carbon or what the, uh, you know, the oxygen levels are, the CO2 levels are in our atmosphere. There's a lag time. And the scientists tried to figure out why, and they finally figured out what was going on. It's a very interesting, interesting, uh, you know, summary of what's happening. But like, you know, with what we're doing with our grazing study, we have a grazing study we're trying to get, lined out and the problem the problem we run into is we started to do it through a university university of oregon as a matter of fact and we got shut down because what we're going to prove with what we have and we have the missing link to prove that cows are are not a you know a, a net negative on the environment they're actually a net positive and if we don't if it, the reason we got shut down with OSU and they, they wasted about a year and a half of our time saying that they were going to do this is because they figured out that, or somebody in the upper level figured out that this is going to go against all the junk science that they basically gave to Kate Brown, governor Brown to be able to sign her cap and trade, do a, do a, an executive order for cap and trade. She did not, she could not get it passed in the legislature and she could, they couldn't get it passed in a ballot initiative. So that she did it by executive order. And this grazing study is so simple, but it has to be done. And we've got world renowned scientists that have backed up what we're saying, what the scientists I'm dealing with are saying. And that is, if you, it's so easy for, I mean, I'm a high school educated Marine, so you just got to be dumbed down pretty good for me to, figured out on science stuff. So Thank you for your service. The, <laughs> you bet. But the, the, the whole premise behind this is if you think about grass or forest type plants, 
And if they don't get grazed off through the, through the spring and summer, they grow up tall, right? The grass grows up tall. If it doesn't get mowed or it doesn't get grazed off, then it grows up tall. And in the winter, it, it lays over. And then in the spring, miraculously, at some point, there's all the new grass and the old grass is gone, right? Yep. So after an, so what the, the hypothesis is, after an oxygen deprivation event, whether it's snow or a heavy rain in the spring or rain in the spring, whatever you want to call it, then that, that forage plant decomposes. All the carbon goes up in the atmosphere. All the CO2 and several other gases, there's three different major gases that go up off the decomposition process. So all of that goes up into the ozone. If a cow, then let's just say in, you know, cause it varies everywhere that they're at. But if a cow could, one cow could eat a hundred acres of grass off in a year, you know, in one cycle. So from spring through the fall, they'd eat that hundred, a hundred acres of grass. They sequestered all of that into and made it into the. They sequestered not only all the all the different gases, but also the the carbon, and turned it into the highest quality protein source in the world. And that's where it. And that carbon only you know carbon doesn't go away. So when it's the the final usage of that carbon is when we poop it out after we've eaten <laughs> eaten the beef. You know, that's basically it's a very basic, basic. <laughs> yeah, it's the very easiest way to explain it, but that's with the final end use of the carbon. So the carbon, the, the sequestration and that sequestration process, if that cow farted or burped so much, you know, so much, it doesn't even come close to equating to the same amount of, of CO2 and gas emissions and carbon flux that it would have been. If she, if they'd have just left it feral. So, how much do you know about carbon, uh, the the carbon credits and the cap and trade and all that? You um, know, that's, I don't know all the all the particulars of it, but I I know I know enough, and I know that they are so, wanting to try to push a individual carbon credit or individual carbon footprint so that each individual person then is responsible for their carbon output. Not just in right. their own so, daily use, but it's in the products that they buy as well. Everything that you're going to buy right. is going to have a, a carbon number attached to it. Right. So, so think about this. If I, so if I, if when they go, when you go buy, if a corporation goes and buys carbon credits, uh, like in the cap and trade scenario, so if they got to go buy carbon credits from somebody. What does that mean to that ground? For the most part, it means that ground has to stay feral. Okay, so so fair, and when I say feral, that means it's going to grow up and not and lay over and decompose. It's not going to get grazed off. So if they're doing that, and we're contending that it's going to cause, uh, it's worse to let that happen than to graze it, or you know, and sequester it then they're actually exacerbating the situation, which I think is total BS. I, I don't think it's a, a real issue. I think it's a money-making deal. And, but they're, if, if, if what they're saying, if what they were saying is true about carbon and the, the, you know, needing to do all this, 
they're actually exacerbating the situation with what they're saying they're doing by selling all these carbon credits. But carbon credits are a multi-trillion dollar a year industry around the world. So, you know, that that's where somebody like me, I'm the only, I'm, the, I'm either the only one tough enough or dumb enough to stand up and say, we're going to do this and we're going to put it out because I'm going to have Al Gore and I'm going to have Bill Gates and, you know, John Kerry and all of his people are going to come after me or, you know, those, not them personally, but those, those people people. will come after me. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that they're not going to answer either is what, what, what grows on credit on, on, uh, on carbon. That's your, that's your grass. That's your greens, your trees, your full, that that's what they eat to produce the oxygen. But yet we're right. trying to eliminate all of this carbon that is out there, I guess, that we've, we've got so much of it. But but yet we need it for the greens to grow, to be more, you know, to, for the grass to be greener, the trees to be taller and fuller. But we're trying to eliminate all of the carbon that the, these organisms, living organisms, are going to use. Why can't they well, answer then, that question? Well, then, then the, other, the other thing to ask also is the way they're doing it, is what's exacerbating all these wildfires. The low-level fuels, it was funny because I was trying to get Trump's people to not have him talk when, back when he was still president, talk about the leaves on the ground. It was the leaves on the ground that's causing all these fires and stuff like that. It wasn't the leaves on the ground, especially not out here in the Northwest. It's, it was the low-level fuels that aren't getting grazed off anymore because the Forest Service has cut everybody's permits back to where they can't go up in the mountains and graze, graze their cattle anymore. Is that the I grazing mean, rights kid, that, that you guys are fighting yeah. for? So that fits well, those right are, that. Yeah, that's some of it. Yeah, that's some of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, the, the government has, has incrementally over the last 40 years, it's been the worst, 30 to 40 years, uh, taken away allotments you know, the West was founded on allotments or, you know, you have a, basically, uh, you come out here and, you know, Oregon and, and Nevada is a split estate, a true split estate. And so is Idaho, but they, but basically what that means is in Nevada, nobody wanted to live in Nevada. Everybody wanted to go right by Nevada because there was no wildlife. There was no nothing in Nevada and they'd go, there's a million acre swaths or even bigger out there in Nevada with no water at all. So there's nothing living out there. Even Lewis and Clark talked about when they came across and went through Southern Oregon, Southeast Oregon and Nevada, they had to eat their horses because there was no wildlife. Mm. They couldn't find any wildlife. So that being said, the only reason man or people settled uh, Nevada was in the incentive that they gave them was, okay, you go find a spring. You can buy that piece of ground around, you know, five acres around that spring or whatever, a hundred acres, whatever you want to buy around that spring. And then we're going to give you whatever you can cultivate and feed animal wise off of that spring and manage. Then we'll give you that much ground to be able to uh, have your permit. These are, these are things that people sold ranches for millions of dollars over was these permits that went with, a, you know, chain of title 
went with those ranches all the way back to the Louisiana Purchase. And yet now they're taking all that stuff away where these ranches might have, you know, 2,000 acres in a uh, half million acre area spread out. They own all the water, but they can't get to it because the, the states take or the, the feds have taken all their permits away, whether it's forest service permit or a BLM permit, they've taken it all away from them to where they can't use them. Well, they have the legal right. These ranchers have the legal right to go fence off all that water. So no wildlife, no wild horses, no nothing can drink that water. And they'd all die off. But they don't, even though they're vil- the ranchers around the West are all vilified, you know, by the animal rights groups and the wild horse advocates and all those people, they're vilified. But the reality is there's, there'd be no water out in most of the Western United States without man cultivating the water and bringing it out of the ground. So, I mean, that's, that's a whole nother, you know, that's a whole nother uh, hour long conversation there, but that's part of, part, part of the reason we're doing all this. And, you know, I've got a, got another, another thing we do. We've got a real life Yellowstone going on over in, in Idaho and, basically, you know, the premise behind Yellowstone is that they're trying to take the ranch to build a big resort and an airport and all that stuff, trying to take his ranch because they want the land. Yes. Well, we've got real life situation going on in, in, uh, Idaho that is just like that. I mean, a corrupt judge, corrupt city council, corrupt county commissioners, uh, all colluding and working together. We, we feel like we got a pretty good Rico suit against the racketeering suit. So we're, it's in Pocatello. Okay. Yeah. So it's uh it's a very two of the two of the ranch well, three of the ranches involved. There's five families that founded Pocatello, homesteaded and founded Pocatello. And three of those families are involved in this. They're trying to take their land. And they're kind of sounds doing like things. the show Yellowstone. Yeah, that's it. It's the real life Yellowstone. Only they joke about it. it's the trailer park version because because uh, <laughs> the the uh, the main homestead of one of the places, the main place that's having it. We're do- actually doing a documentary about it. Where I've had a, I have some very strong Hollywood, you know, really great Hollywood kind of connections that are not on the crazy Hollywood side that are have been up and helping us put together this documentary about this situation, but. Um, the, the main house, you know, like on Yellowstone, they got the giant log house, the main house. Well, this one, the 1900, uh, you know, turn of the century main house there is only about 900 square feet and three rooms and it's a brick house, (laughs) you know, and then there's a couple mobile homes on that place. So there's, they call it the trailer park version. We don't have all, they said, we don't have all the pretty people in the big fancy ranch but we you know we got the ranch my my family is all from montana i'm up here in eastern washington now but my both sides of my family are from montana 
lots of money out there. Um, you know, and you, you see that all the time. You see the, the not so, you know, it's a nice house, but it's nothing big and grand like that. It's not, that's not the farming, you know, the farm life right. up there in Northern Montana. So, but then you've got all these other little pods, pod houses that are kind of out there throughout the fields for the, the ranch hands and the farm hands to go live in. That's life. And that's what they, that's what they want to look forward to. If they wanted something better, they just go do it but that fits for them. And and people don't understand that. My son thinks he's, he's only been over there for two weeks now, but he thinks he's a Montanan now because he's going to uh, MSU. Where, which one? Bozeman. Bozeman. Okay. Yeah. We're from, we're from Haver. So MSU Northern. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's pretty excited about it. He loves it over there. Well, I don't blame him, you know, I mean, Hermiston, Oregon is a pretty nice place, you know, where, where, where he's from and where he grew up his whole life, but it's in where we're at, but it's not as, uh, not as pretty as living over there in Bozeman or those kind of areas. Yeah. He'll come home. <laughs> he'll come yeah. home at some point yeah. and be like, yeah, this is where I want to be. Yeah. Dave, I've got an acronym that I, I'm going to have you spell it out for me, but first I'm going to share an acronym with you. LTD, Longhorn Tactical and Defense, ltdefense.shop. This is where you can get all of your combat gear, all of your tactical gear, but you can also get your ready wise meals. Now, I just lost my 35th account on TikTok, but you can go to LTD, Longhorn Tactical and Defense, either AZ or Texas, and get on their TikTok and see all of the great promotions, all the great products, all the great food supplies that they have there. I will be creating my 36 account and will continue doing what I do, but get on there. You can check out those ReadyWise meals. They come in individual packets. They also come in the bucket. They also have water. They have everything that you could think of. Just go to ltdefense.shop for all of your tactical gear. And remember to tell them a little extra Lambo sent you. What is, I was looking at your guys' website on here. What is H, or no, I'm sorry, A-P-H-I-S, APHIS? APHIS, Animal Plant Health Inspection Service. What is that? And that is, and that's, that's a, who's going to control, have the control over the Horse Protection Act. Yes, yes. And I, I actually, during the, because I don't know if, uh, our friend told you, but, uh, I was the guy that got Trump to pardon the Hammonds, the two ranchers from Oregon. Okay. That he, that he pardoned, you know, that big deal. Yep. Um, anyway, so I got, I got a lot of, I got to go to a lot of meetings during the Trump administration that I, that I probably would never have gotten if it was a different administration. So my ability to go sit in the meetings was really, really cool. I, I was actually sitting in one that was an APHIS meeting when they were talking about the Horse Protection Act. And I'm not supposed to be saying anything. I'm sitting out on the wall while everybody's seated, seated around this big table. And there's several veterinarians and several people from USDA sitting there, all the decision makers. And the head veterinarian for APHIS, our head veterinarian for the USDA, was and I wasn't looking at him when he was talking, but he said I could see where riding a horse could be considered an act of soaring. Soaring's a felony in every state in the union. I mean, it's uh, and and I went, I I 
just blurted out like I had Tourette's. I blurted out. I go, what did you just say? And he looked at the whole table, turned around, looked at me. Like I said, I'm, I'm supposed to be a fly on the wall. Yeah, I'm not, not supposed even to be. there. <laughs> and yeah. And, and he goes, well, I, I could see where riding a horse could, could be considered an act of soaring. He said, Whoa, you better pump the brakes. Cause that you're going to open up a can of worms. You have no idea. And we went, and then they all started listening to me and I, I went through a litany and he goes, yeah, well, that probably was the, what, not the best way to word that. But that was a head veterinarian for USDA, the United States, over all this stuff. The head veterinarian said that and was going to, you know, that kind of wording might have got worked in there. That's how we get so screwed up with rules from, from D.C. You get these people who are supposed to be professionals but they're they live there in that life and don't you know don't have any outside whatever you want to call it i mean it's just it's amazing to me how little um they really understand what they're making laws about and that's why it's critical i tell people all the time you know i can i can stop bills with a phone call, a lot of times I start calling around to all our friends that we've made over the years. And, but the, 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 when bills get passed and then they go on to the, whatever, you know, department they're going to be run out of. That's when things get really scary because it's the unelected bureaucrats that make all the rules for that bill. The politicians aren't making the rules. It's the unelected bureaucrats. And that's where things get really dicey and you really have to go watch that stuff. And that's why, you know, it's critical that somebody like our, like Western justice, a group like us is doing that for, we do it for many things, even outside that, that probably touch the majority of your listeners in some way or another. I mean, there's, there's things that we work on that may not seem like they're, you know, relevant to somebody who, who doesn't, who's not involved in the ranching community or the horses or whatever. But the reality is it, this might affect your dog, your cat, or, or any other thing, animal that you have. So, or any other way that you do something, there's, there's so much that goes on in DC with that, that, the language gets used by these other people. As soon as they feel the language, if it goes through, you know, and there, there's some language in there that they can pick a piece out and say, there's a precedent for us to do this to these people. And instead of working for us, that's the sad part about DC and why I, I really hope that somebody, whoever gets in there next is able to do something about bureaucratic reform. I've told McCarthy that to his face. Um, I've told it to several other people that bureaucratic reform is the only way we're going to change this thing. And, you know, some of these, these candidates out there are talking about getting rid of all these different departments. That'd be great because that's going to be some serious bureaucratic reform because right now they can't even, they can't even fire people for doing something wrong. And that's, they, they, these people can do something unethical and wrong these bureaucrats and they can't even be fired by the federal government. And they can't be voted out either. These are all no. unelected, unelected heads. Unelected. Yep. Yep. 
So unless somebody at the top says, hey, I don't like you or we're going to get rid of you, and I've seen that happen to good people within the government. They're too good, and they they get run out somehow. They find a way to get rid of them, or or they basically what they do is they move them into a job they don't want to have and they or they don't want to do, and they finally end up quitting. And that's that's how they do it. But I mean, it's a dirt. It's dirty. The, our government is dirty. It's tough. It's not easy Extremely. to deal with. But but that's that's something that I do, and I'm good at. And I've got people around me that are really good at it, and we're able to function and do a lot of really cool stuff. But it's not it's not for the weak hearted. Or I I don't even want to call it weak hearted. It's not for the average person because the average person doesn't want to deal with this kind of crap. They want to live their life. Yep. And that's why, that's why, you know, we're a membership based organization. So that's the, that's the part that I, you know, don't worry about trying to be, you know, trying to do all this stuff, let us do it and know that we're out there actually making a difference, you know, help, help us. So throughout, so, you know, we've been, we've been talking for an hour here and, and I've done a lot of shows on connecting the dots and this is mm-hmm. just another way we, we, we talked about, them uh making horses illegal we talked about them banning you know the the sale of beef for the synthetic crap that bill gates wants to give we've talked about them trying to eliminate rodeos they're trying to eliminate the western way of life so that way everybody lives exactly the same in this this garbage utopia of you know a city what is not going to be understood by the people is that once you lose these different other ways of life, the, 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 the Western way of life in particular, once that's gone, you lose where the differences in societies are. Once everybody's exactly mm-hmm. the same, what do you have to look forward to and, and break away from? You're going to be doing the right. exact same thing as the person standing next to you. Yep. Tell us how important the Western way of life is when it comes to today's world. I I think I think it's very important because we're kind of looked at, and I think that's why Yellowstone and uh, you know that whole series that Taylor Sheridan's done is is so vastly popular, and what that Oliver guy did just did with that song. You know, Richmond, people are yeah yeah people are connected to that. And, and they, they feel like the Western lifestyle is the last great, the last hope of civility and, you know, God fearing Americans, you know, kind of a deal. I mean, we don't, we're, we stand for the flag. We don't, you know, we're, we're not out there bashing people and bashing the flag or, you know, that's what the Western way of life is. We're respectful to other people, you know. There, there's not a lot of that going on anymore and from from any other demographic and yet so, so many people have a have a a bad look about it they they look down upon that and they just clearly do not understand what the western way of life is right and the you know the the code of the west you know our 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 tagline cuz i've had people say oh i don't like the name western justice it sounds too you know, and I'm like, what? Well, you're you, you're offended, Karen, or what? You know, by Western justice, and 
so we we adopted a tagline that a guy, a British, now I'm not going to think of his name. He was a British uh, lawmaker back in the 1800s. It was a famous line that he did. I said, and it's justice is truth in action. And that's what our, that's what our whole mentality is. Western justice is not, we're trying to go out and be, you know, uh, you know, frontier justice kind of deal where we're going to take people to the train station kind of a deal, <laughs> you know, like for the Yellowstone yep. fans. But, uh, you know, it's, it's justice is truth in action to us. We have, we have a great, you know, I've got a great group of people. And one of my, one of my big things is I've, I've never been the best at anything. But one thing I do know is I know, except for, and I'll say this, the, the one thing that I'm really good at is finding who is the best on one thing or the best, the smartest on one issue or one, one thing that we got to do. And I always make sure that that person is on my team, you know, and part of my, my team. So I've got some incredible people that I do work with and a lot of them do it pro bono. A lot of them, you know, we, we, or they cut the, cut the price down, whether it's a attorney or, you know, whatever it is and whoever's helping us. And we get a lot of really great stuff done for what, you know, for the people we do stuff for. And that's why, you know, people, there, there was so much going on in the Trump administration that people had no idea. And I get my, some of my friends that call me up and they go, you know, these are, these are big players that you would know on TV and, and or on the news and stuff like that. And they've called me up and they're like, Hey, we're backing the Santas. We're doing this. We're doing that. And Trump didn't finish the wall and didn't do this. And, and they started in on all bashing him. And I'm like, you know, you can, you can use those talking points to help your, your position. And, and I, it's not that I don't like the Santas, but I don't think there's anybody else right now for me personally that can clean up the, the mess that's over there. And I believe he, the same thing. he did, he did so much for the people that I look after that most people have no clue that he even did. He did so much there that I have a, and I'm a very loyal person. So I have a tremendous amount of loyalty to him because of what I know he did that he did, you know, and some of my farmer friends and big ranchers, they go, God, I wish he just quit tweeting saying all that stupid shit. And I go, let me just give you a little clue. When, when he does that, when he threw up a tweet that threw everybody into a, you know, tirade, it's like he was holding his hand up over here and say, Hey, look at this. And then over on the other side, he was doing stuff that nobody had any idea because they were so focused on his tweet. You know, they were so focused on what he had to say that he was getting a bunch of stuff done that nobody paid any attention to. Like the Kofifi tweet for that the he people. put out there. Yeah, they were, it's like the Kofifi tweet that he put out there. Yeah, exactly. you know, they were like, exactly. Yo, he doesn't even know how to spell coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it was so, it, I used to sit and laugh. I mean, really just sit and belly laugh when I'd see something like that and how everybody go get apoplectic and just go nuts over the things you say. And then knowing that, 
he signed an executive order or something to do. Like he did one over Christmas in 2018 that was huge for the Western grazing world. And nobody ever followed it. The the BLM and the and the Forest Service just they were just waiting him out. And I told McCarthy that when a, at a big meeting I was at, and I had several billionaires sitting in the room, and I told him I said, you know, and Sonny Purdue was the head of the USDA was sitting there, and and he goes, I go, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna beg to differ with you because he was saying how great the Forest Service was doing. I said the Forest Service in the West is considered widely considered the most corrupt organization in the federal government. And I said, you know, this is this is what's going on. And I said, they're not the president. And this was in 2020. This was in August of 2020. And I go, the president's 2018 executive order to mandate that they go do this stuff. They're just they're 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 putting it off and putting it off, and they're not doing a damn thing. And I said, they're just waiting you out, Mr. Secretary. And they are right now. They are flipping you and the president the bird. And they're just waiting you out till you get out of office. And then they're going to go right back to doing what they were doing. And that's exactly what happened. And that's when I looked at McCarthy and I said, I hope that someday somebody with some power is going to do something about bureaucratic reform because these people are the ones that are running the country into the ground. So just to push their, their own agenda. Yep. Yep. And he's, you know, to, to McCarthy's credit, he is, He's, he's trying to figure out how to do that. And it's not, and I don't want anybody to think it's easy. It's not just flipping a switch over there. You, I mean, there's a lot of gameplay that has to go on to get this to happen because there are a lot of entrenched bureaucrats that have been there. Some of them 25, 30 years that are sitting there, not and there. They know how to work the system to where they're not going to, you know, they're, they're not going to give up. They're not going to give up easy. It's going to be tough, but I think that Trump is the only one. He knows where the bodies are buried. He knows who's doing what. what's, well, he, he knows how the system works. And if somebody else gets in there, you know, somebody else goes in there, they're going to spend, not only are they going to get attacked the same way Trump did, they're not going to have the stones to stand up to it, but they're also going to have to try to figure out where all the bodies are buried and where everything's at and what, how to deal with it. Where Trump already knows that he already, he's already seen the the whole deal. Do you think we're going to have a a next election or do you think Trump is going to actually have an opportunity to run to be their next president? I sure hope so. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think I, you know, the, the, the whole, the whole you need to go get a conspiracy theorist friend because all your conspiracies <laughs> come true or what you yeah. know so you can watch and see what else is going on the i mean so much stuff has come true that has been all conspiracy theory supposedly that you just go wow i i mean i try not to go down too many rabbit holes because i am a i my my whole reason for being in the role that i am is not because i i i you know, this is some sort of, um, you know, thing that I enjoy doing It's because I can't stand a bully. I've never been able to stand a bully in my life. I got a lot of fights growing up, but it wasn't because I picked fights. It was because I was stepping in because somebody was getting picked on. And that's been, you know, the Marine Corps being in the Marine Corps just made that even more a stronger, uh, sense in my, in my soul. So now 
I look at these animal rights groups, the environmental groups, all of these people picking on, you know, all of us in my world, you know, that I look at that as they're the bullies and I got to do something about it because nobody else is. Yeah, I completely agree. That that's where I'm at. I gotta, I gotta be, I I've tried to walk away from this many times, Gavin. I've tried to walk away and go, you know what? I can make a hell of a lot more money selling or doing something else. And I've been offered some pretty big jobs and I never do it because I just know that nobody else is going to do what I'm doing. And it's critical. I am looking on your, on the website right now and I'm looking to, to, it says to sign the petition, which I've signed for. Plus I donated to what are you looking to, to gain from the petition? What are we, what are we signing up for when it comes to this? Well, what, what that petition does is it gives me ammunition when I go to DC because over before this comment period is up, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to start pounding on these guys. And the only way we can get them to slow this down or stop it or change the rules, you know, and make it so it's clear that it's not going to affect the rest of the horse industry. Um, that is, I mean, the Tennessee walkers, it's a foregone conclusion that it affects them. They're not worried about it. And it has been for 30 years. So the rest of the horse industry needs to stand up and fight back and stop the what, what's happening there. And this is going to affect rodeo. It's going to affect everybody, not just, you know, a couple of horse shows. So <clears throat> we got to, we got to stand up and get as many signatures on there. I mean, if I could get, you know, a million signatures on there, should we be, I'd go over to DC and plop it on their desk and they go, holy crap. Cause there's never been, nobody's ever organized a fight against this deal like we're doing. So they, they, and that's because this organization is finally catching, you know, we're the, we're finally getting to the point where we're getting heard and we're big and getting bigger and bigger every day we get memberships and we are, you know, the fastest growing advocacy group, like in what we do. They're, I mean, we're the fastest growing out there. So, but we need, I mean, I should be 2 million members strong. And if I was, there is nothing I couldn't slow down. And things that, are, here's here's the way, here's one of the things that I was alluding to earlier is whatever affects our oil supply or being able to do, you know, produce our oil, our mining, our timber, all of that stuff within the interior, the interior department, the three departments I do the most work on is the interior department, the EPA and the USDA. So those are the three that affect ranching and all of that other stuff greatly. So any of the things that affect any of those other industries, timber, mining, and, and uh, oil and gas, our natural resource stuff affects ranching. So I do a lot of work that I, a lot of the work I do and the things I fight against within the government actually will help the oil and gas, the timber industry and the mining industries. So that's, that's a big, you know, that's a big deal. You can so find that. That's, that's what, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, that's what I was trying to say earlier when I said that it, it affects just about everybody out there you know, what we're doing, things we're doing. 
Yeah, I'll attach your your website along with the petition uh, website to the prologue of the show. They can go right to it. Um, I'll share it on all of all of my social medias um, as well, so we can get more people to to sign this petition, make make things a little easier for you uh, when you go and start yeah. slamming slamming names down on desks, saying, "Look, you need to start listening to these people." Right. Yeah. No, that's great. I sure appreciate it, Kevin. I appreciate you getting me on, and and hopefully. I wasn't long-winded enough. People tuned out or fell asleep. I I have a full another page full of notes just from you talking. So uh, very informative. <laughs> what 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 didn't I ask? I know that that you were trying to get a message out there. You were trying to get more people aware. You know, more people to sign this petition. What did I miss? What What do you want other? What well, do you want I, people to know? Well, I want people to know that we are what, like I said, what we're doing affects just about everybody and your food supply and all of that. So they're coming after uh, the powers that be are coming after all of that. And I don't want to see it. I want to see us stay strong, keep everything going, keep our food supply intact. They are, I, I mean, all the way down to in Hermiston, Oregon, we got them out testing wells for nitrates right now. That means they are going to go after the farmers here. And we, we stopped, I was part of stopping the takedown of every dairy in the Yakima Valley. Um, you remember the cow palace dairy situation? You ever hear about that? I don't think that so. Was, no. It was a huge deal back in 2000. I think it started in 2013, but I was a big part of, we, we basically caught EPA Region 10, which is based in Seattle. The Region 10 is. We caught them committing fraud on the court with their testing, the way they tested for nitrates over there. And they're trying to say the nitrates are, you know, cause blue baby syndrome, all of this stuff, which is total BS. It's been totally debunked. And the reality is nitrates aren't what cause problems for people. It's nitrites. There's two different things there. And it's a to- and they test for nitrates, and they don't they're they're not telling you what about the nitrites or what the level is because that's what's bad. Nitrates get on the ground at a dairy farms. It takes when they when they start saying it's in your water that all this nitrates are in your water. The testing ability now they can test the the scientists that we have can go down and test water. And they can tell if the nitrates in that water are from dinosaurs. All the way back in the dinosaurs, which a lot of it is. It's down in the groundwater. Unless there's somebody dumping nitrates straight into the aquifer, that's a, I mean, most of the nitrates that are down that low are from some something that happened hundreds of millions of years ago. Interesting. Not, yeah. I mean, it doesn't go, that nitrates, it takes, I think it takes 75 years to penetrate. We figured out, our scientists said it takes 75 years or some, or 175, I don't remember the exact number from back, I mean, it's been 10 years, but that long to, to penetrate a half inch or an inch into the ground. Wow. So these night, all this nitrates bullshit, it's all bullshit that they're trying to do to try to get people scared. Try to control your water, your food, all of that, all of the things that they keep trying to do to us. They're doing it through several different methods, and and I fight a lot on these nitrates issues. And that's and all climate change. One of my that's the same thing. It's yeah. just about scaring people into, you know, paying their carbon their their carbon taxes. 
Right. Right. And, and my, one of my mentors and my board members, he's a senior counsel is an 80, 80 year old, um, attorney. That's probably the, what I would consider the number one agriculture attorney in, in the country to the point where when there's these animal rights groups or these environmental groups come in and put their name on a, or file a lawsuit against a dairy or a pork farm or something like or a feedlot. When his name goes on the docket as a defense, they just, they'll just vacate the complaint. That's how, because he's beat them so many times. But that's how I know all this stuff about nitrates and nitrates and all, all of that is through this great attorney and all the experts that we've had on different things. So, Well, to me, you're doing yeah, great work. Uh, fighting, you know, fighting all these behind the scene battles that a lot of people don't even know are going on. And hopefully yeah. that this show can, can reach a bunch of people to um, kind of bring the light, what, what work you're doing and, and how this, cause I've never heard of this until our friend had brought it up to me that this was going on. So there, right. this affects a lot of, a lot of people and a lot of, a, a lot of children as well who, you know, have, have horses with FFA who have horses that they grow up with for, um, uh, you know, calm, I don't, I'm trying to look, think of the right words, but to calm them, to go riding with, to, you know, just to do yeah, the, yeah. the mental, therapy. the mental health with therapy. Yeah. There we go. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the therapeutic riding centers, all of that stuff is just, I mean, the, the human animal bond and interaction is way more powerful than, anything and, and like the guy that's pushing this deal down there in la the anti-rodeo he's in the he has a group called uh last chance for animals he's a former would-be actor that decided he was gonna he's never owned and is on his website he admits he's never had a dog or a cat or any animal the only human animal interaction he's ever had was staring into the eyes of a feral dog in the city of la and that's that's how he came to the conclusion that he was going to fight all people with animals and fight for animals and all that. Never had that animal human animal interaction to know anything about him. But yet he's going to be the arbiter of what's right for animals. So that's uh, and he's got a bunch of Hollywood stars that he knew from the movie his, his days in the movie business to fund him and give him lots of money, and that's what he's doing. That's how screwed up most of these people are. Yeah. You know, in Center for Biological Diversity, they're talking about them all over now. You look up the history of Center for Biological Diversity, and right now they've probably got 60 lawyers on staff, multi-billion dollar uh, money coming in a year. Um, they are the worst thing for ranching, farming, and anybody out there right now they're they are doing things that are just they're trying to rewild the united states and they got politicians listening to them listening to them and they are these were two crazy hippies that started this thing i mean they are batshit crazy hippies that started this and just found a niche and started getting some money in and started making a bigger name for themselves as they went and i mean it is it's lunacy I'm, and I'm sitting here trying to wrap my mind wrong. around what what are, what were they buying into, and it's yeah, it's just complete lunacy. You're trying to make a difference yeah. on it, and it doesn't matter what it is. 
You're trying to make a difference in something, but yet you have no idea what you're doing. It's like the person that walks up right. down, hey, will you sign this this petition, sign this board? Oh, sure. And you just sign it all willy-nilly, and then you walk on down the street. You have no clue what you actually just did. Yeah, and who you just aided in doing something. Yeah. Crazy. Well, Dave, thank you for coming on the show. Um, we're going to get this out there. I'm going to promote it as, as heavily as I can. And, uh, you know, let's get these. It, we're, the goal is 10,000 to start with. Realistically, you'd love a million, million signatures on this petition and yeah. uh, donations. May, send, a, send a donation yeah. as well when you sign up for this petition. Yeah, or become a member. Go on our website, westernjustice.info, and, and become a member. That's even better. Outstanding, sir. Thank you very much. All right, Kevin. Appreciate you. Yeah, I Take appreciate care. you. Thank you. If I can help out uh, right. with anything else going forward, you've got my number. Uh, just give me a call, shoot me a text, and, and I'll do whatever I can. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. See ya. Yep. That was Dave Duquette, Executive Director of Western Justice. If you go to westernjustice.info backslash horse protection act, that'll take you right where you need to go to sign that petition. So please do what I do, get or did, get on there, sign that petition. If you would like to, you do not have to, donate some money towards the cause. Remember, if we lose the Western way of life, we are we are not going to do good as a country. This is a must-have when it comes to our future in this country the western way of life is not just for people on horseback going around plowing fields this has so much to do with everybody's everyday life so i hope you guys enjoyed the podcast i hope you enjoyed the information that was given so please go to uh, that western justice website it will be in the prologue of the show just scroll up click in there and it'll take you right to that petition for you to sign. So we, we need to get that right in front of Congress so that we can battle this. And I keep saying we, like I'm going to be in front of Congress. Hey, 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 if you guys need old Lambo to show up in front of Congress, let's go and raise hell. All right, let's do it. If you need me to be there, I will fucking be there in a heartbeat. Raise some hell, get some stuff done, come back to the people. Oh, wait a second. Isn't that what our founders intended with the when it came to politicians? You show up to Washington, D.C. for two weeks, and then you go home to the people that you're representing to be held accountable for the stuff that you did. That sounds right. That's, I believe I heard this somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we could try that again. There is an uprising that's building. I don't know if you all feel it. I don't know if you all see it, but it's there. And, I'm, and I implore you. I am, I am, I am pleading with you to find a veteran that is near you. Find a veteran who served active duty that knows what shit is. Find them, see what they're doing. Ask them questions. Ask them questions. Ask how you can be ready. Ask how you can prepare. Because when they start moving, when they start moving, you're not going to hear them. You're not going to see them. You're not going to know where they're at. And then you then need to try to find them and find them very fast. Because once they go silent, that means they're moving. 
we have the the people of this country have the largest fighting force in the world and it is second to none because of the military veterans that we have because of the amount of guns that we have in this country because of the amount of ammunition that we have this government thinks that we hold a bunch of paintball guns and that's how we're going to take over the government because they have f-15s and tanks well, let's just say our military veterans know how to disassemble every single thing that this military has. So I think the, the side of freedom is still on our side. But watch what your military veterans do. When they go dark, when you can no longer see them, hear them, touch them, look at them, they're moving. And they're there to fight again for the American people. So, again... Uh, that had nothing to do with the show, but that is what I'm feeling right now. And I hope that this Labor Day weekend, you guys can look within yourselves, in your family, make some plans, start preparing. Hopefully you guys have already been preparing because I don't, I don't want you to be behind the ball. I mean, that's really what it is. If you have not started to prepare you haven't started water storage you haven't started food storage if you haven't started buying ammunition i'm telling you if you don't have any combat gear at all anything at all go to ltdefense.shop okay tell them i sent you a little extra lambo tell them that i sent you okay i get the question all the time i don't have any money what do i do well then you need to assess what your most your top need is what is your top need when it comes to tactical gear? If you don't know, ask a military veteran. Ask a military veteran, and they will tell you what your most needed tactical item is. And then just start saving up for that, purchase that, and then move on to the next. Maybe come up with a top five list. I get the question all the time. Lambo, I don't have any money for food storage. What do I do? Now, food storage is not what you go into the store and you go buy your two weeks worth of food because that's what you and the family are going to eat. That is not food storage. Food storage is you buy those two weeks of food for that's what your two weeks of groceries are. Plus, on top of it, stuff that's going to sit and it's going to be there for a year, year and a half. And then once you start rotating dates, you start moving stock around in your pantry, then you start using that stuff, but then you fill in the back end. I get the question all the time, Lambo, I don't have any money to start this. I always refer everybody. I believe it is podcast number 32. It is my dollar store podcast. Go listen to that podcast. That is exactly where you start. You start at the dollar store. You pillage the dollar store. You, they have food there. They have water there. They have supplies there. Extra toothbrushes, floss, toothpaste, shampoo, hand soaps. It's all there at the dollar store. Go pillage the dollar store. Go spend 25 bucks. Lambo, I don't have 25 bucks. I guarantee you went and got your nails did. I guarantee you went and got a haircut. I guarantee you went to the coffee shop for some coffee. At some point last month, you had 25 bucks that you could have went to the dollar store and bought yourselves 25 items. That's where you start. Go to that episode number 32. It is the Dollar Store Podcast. If you need further help with the Dollar Store Podcast, with preparing it all, 
email the show, shoot me a message of some sort, and I will help you out. I am here to help you. I just started a, a account number 36 on TikTok. You can go to that as well. I believe I am Lambo underscore prime. How long it's going to last, I don't know. But for right now, Lambo underscore prime is what my 36th account is. Find me on there. Friend request me. Follow me. Whatever whatever the terminology is. Let's be friends. Shoot me a message and I will help you with the dollar score dollar store podcast and the information that is on there because that is where you start. If you go to the store and there's a special on tomato sauce and it's a dollar 19 for a, for a big jar of it, buy it. Buy it. Well, we're not having spaghetti this week. Exactly. But you will have it next month. You'll have it two months from now, three months from now. If shit hits the fan, you're going to need to be able to eat for three weeks. You're going to need to have water on hand. You're going to need to have a heating source on hand. Okay, We're getting into fall now. Fall, we're kind of okay temperature-wise. I don't know what, what, what Three Rose is doing right now. He might still be in 118-degree weather. I don't know. I haven't talked to him all weekend. Maybe that's what he's doing. I don't know. But for here in the Pacific Northwest, we're kind of coming into fall. The temperature is going to start evening evening out a little bit. Um, but winter is coming. So we're going to need to start getting our heating supplies, our heating blankets, heating sources, um, whatever else, that long john, socks, all that stuff that comes along with being in the winter. We're going to need to start breaking that out of the boxes and, and getting our, our supplies set for that. Extra propane, uh, different heating he- heater units, firewood, all of that stuff. So uh, if you have any questions, please shoot me a message. I'm here to help you. And I don't want, I don't want to see my friends uh, falling off because they just weren't prepared. They took it for granted. They thought, ah, oh, we're just going to go to Aunt Cindy's house. She's got, she's got lots of stuff there. Number one, what if you can't make it there? What if you can't make it there on your own? Number two, what if you get there and, I don't know, let's just say fire. What if a fire just destroyed your plan A? Have you ever heard of the heard the phrase two is one, one is none? You need to have four different plans. You need to have five different plans just in case. And you need to understand the travel behind them on foot, on car, on bike, on skateboard, on dragon. I don't know. Something that's that that will get you from point A to point B. And have five other plans. Message the show and I will help you out. Because something is coming. Something is coming. And it is thick in the air. Because they're poking the bear. This government, this administration, the elites, they are poking the bear. And they're trying to get the American people to fight back. And what do they keep doing? They keep taking more of our rights away from us. They're trying to get the horses to stop being used now. They, they, they couldn't go through it with, the, with the, um, the animal protection ban in Oregon. They couldn't do it in L.A. by banning rodeo, which is basically what the Oregon one was too, the kill rodeo bill. Now we're going to go after horses. 
And that's all horses, right? But then you know the elites. They're going to get there. Well, it doesn't really apply to them. It's the cowboys and the cowgirls and the rodeos and the 4-H students. That's who we're going to impact. They're, they're trying to piss off as many people as they can so that they will fight back. And it's coming. And they're not going to expect what we the people are going to do to them. That's a promise to the FBI who is listening to this podcast right now. That is a promise. Email the show. I will help you prepare. I will help you get ready for when that day comes. Mr. Dave Duquette, thank you. Thank you for coming on to the show. I will post your website, that petition link, in the prologue of the show. Please go to it. Sign it. Make a donation if you feel like it. You do not have to, but sign that petition. I am a little extra Lambo. Go to Western Justice. Find about all the causes that they're fighting for because it's not just for them. It is for you. Justice is truth in action. I am Lambo. Peace!